0: And this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Today, we want to talk to you about the Great Wide Road. Trips across the country are certainly not limited to the American experience, but we the people certainly love our highways. Just take a look at the map of our interstate systems reticulating the country with asphalt. According to our cinematic lore, a long enough road trip in America will most certainly assure you come of age and you'll no doubt make colorful friends along the way. You will also run into a man in overalls somewhere in the Ozarks and inexplicably and, let's be honest, unfairly, win a rap battle halfway between Austin and Los Angeles. We don't make the rules. In any case, from the freeways to the highways, while some are rather, well, bland or just irritating in the why has no one maintained this since Y2K kind of way, there are many American roadways that have distinct personalities and even their own accompanying lore. Everyone knows about Route 66, of course. It's famous for being a pop culture mainstay, songs, movies, but in certain paranormal circles, there are other attractions to be sought along its way. According to the Travel Channel, quote, there are at least 100 different places along the highway that are rumored to be sites of paranormal activity, quote, including the Hotel Monte Vista in Flagstaff, Arizona, where a phantom bellboy knocks on guests' doors at night, to the mysterious spook light, an unexplained orb that appears in the dark sky over Quapaw, Oklahoma, which, by the way, made an appearance on this very podcast, to a theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico, plagued by a mischievous little boy who died there in the 1951 Boiler Explosion. (sighs) Mischievous and Boiler Explosion are not words we usually associate with each other, but okay. And then, there's the perhaps less nationally famous but very interesting Route 44 up in Massachusetts. Locals claim at least according to local radio station WHOM, it's the most haunted roadway in the country. We think that Route 66 might have something to say about that, but they can take it up with the base date. Anyway, without getting into the related story of the Bridgewater Triangle, we'll be getting into that tangly topic on a later premium episode. Route 44's claim to fame seems to be a redheaded hitchhiking ghost. Per WHOM, this spirit isn't content to stand along the roadside and just frighten drivers. He wants to ride. And if you're unlucky enough to pick him up, well, the stories of alleged encounters are enough to make us stop driving at night altogether. WHOM wrote that, quote, One woman's car battery died shortly after stopping to pick up the hitchhiker, who disappeared while going for the handle to open the door. Granted, he couldn't be seen, but the woman heard the man laughing after he disappeared. And in another case, quote, one witness saw the man appear in the backseat of his car through the rearview mirror. As if not seeing someone appear randomly in your backseat was bad enough, the car's radio started to scan through stations at a very loud volume that shook the car. Reportedly, this witness could hear the hitchhiker's laughter long after the shaking subsided. We assume he may have broken local speed limits as he left the area. And, of course, strangers, there's always Route 666. No, that's not a joke. Flock Freight, a long haul trucker's website, describes it as, quote, also known as the Devil's Highway, which is a 193 mile stretch that runs through Utah, Arizona, Colorado, and New Mexico. Now, we'll give it to them. The nickname itself is not a stretch, but we think we might avoid this road for other reasons. Apparently, truckers who carry freight there have reported sightings of stay with us here, UFOs, demon dogs, and the apparently popular phenomenon of ghost hitchhikers. Some drivers even claim to lose large chunks of time. Sounds like a certain trucker from one of our past episodes. We don't know about you, but all of this makes traveling the country sound a little less appealing. Based on those accounts, we think we might take our chances with Atlanta's claim to fame. Terrible traffic and potholes. To our knowledge, none of those are haunted. Unless you consider a graveyard of damaged tires to be a sign of the supernatural. But today, strangers, we want to direct you even farther south. Yes, we are headed back to our very favorite place, Florida. The Sunshine State has given us so much, and for that we are forever grateful. We will continue to visit your open shores and your open records for as long as we are able. So, join us if you will, on a road trip down, or rather across, I-4 in Northern Florida. Interstate 4 began construction in the late 1950s and was wrapped up by Lyndon B. Johnson's first full term. It's a long piece of connective tissue that mostly serves, according to the Tampa Bay Times, to bridge I-275 and I-95. Now, that's not to say the drive is bereft of entertaining stops. In fact, you can overwhelm your family with theme park fun if you have the inclination. There are easy routes to Disney World, to something called Dinosaur World, to SeaWorld, lots of worlds here, and to Universal Studios. There's also something called the Holy Land Experience where, as the Tampa Bay Times explains, you can quote, watch Jesus crucified six days a week, which sounds very different from a visit with Mickey. In any case, even with its attractions, I-4 can run for long stretches without much happening. And maybe it's odd then that, per the Tampa Bay Times, it was declared the United States' deadliest highway in 2016, with 1.41 fatalities per mile over a six-year period. That's all 132 miles to be exact. Then again, maybe it's not so odd that all of these crashes would occur. Perhaps the long stretches of nothing through rural towns and then the press of exchanges toward excitement, the shift from distractions to attraction, could explain this. But the accidents have certainly been marked. Fox 13 reported that, quote, on the very day that I-4 opened in 1963, a shrimp truck jackknifed, killing the driver, and that was just the beginning. And strangers, there's a quarter mile or so of I-4 that seems to be particularly treacherous. It's difficult to assess the total number of accidents that have occurred there, but Fox 13 reported that the number is estimated between 1,500 and 2,000. Now, it's an approach to a long bridge over water and any major change in terrain might be cause enough for accidents. But, well, there's always a little more to the stories we dig up, aren't there? The short portion of I-4 is in the town of Sanford, in Seminole County, on the way to the St. John's River Veterans Memorial Bridge. That bridge connects the edge of Seminole to the next county over, Volusia, and the next city, Deberry. You stay on I-4, of course, but we're only interested in one side of that passage today. We won't get all English lit grad student and start up about bridges and liminal spaces because, well, it's already been a very long year and it's only May. For our purposes, let's focus on the Sanford side of things because that's where it all began and allegedly, where it keeps on happening. According to the news press, Floridian author Charlie Carson, he calls this particular stretch of I-4, the dead zone. And that's not just a morbid nickname due to all the accidents that have occurred along the way. It's also an area known to cause issues with mobile phones and other electronic devices. According to the Orlando Sentinel, drivers often complain that calls drop, map apps, and before that, old-school devices like in-car satellite navigation and the like, cease working while they're driving toward the St. John's River Bridge. We couldn't find any reports about when service is restored precisely, and there are certainly complaints about other areas of I-4. Honestly, it seems to be a bit of a mess, but the biggest dead zone we found mentioned on the internet was certainly in Seminole. And there have been numerous theories put forth about why that might be the case. Is it the water? The comparatively rural location? Well, one commenter on the Weird US website had a thought. Kiri wrote that quote, one explanation that you haven't considered for the dead spots like the one on I-4 is limestone deposits close to the surface. My grandfather, an engineer, tells me that limestone absorbs radio waves. I have found personally that many of the local spots where I lose my cell phone signals have large limestone deposits. Anyway, it's something to consider. It certainly is. Limestone could be an obvious answer to the more mundane, if serious, and sometimes tragic, occurrences in the I-4 dead zone. Maybe it could explain sudden blasts of CB radio static that long haul truckers have reported and Atlas Obscura has gathered. But there are other things. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. incredible storms that have run down I-4. Hurricane Donna in 1960 and Hurricane Charlie in 2004, both hit that very small and specific run of road just before St. John's Bridge. Now, the combination of increased accidents at a bridge and a loss of cell phone signals wouldn't necessarily earn a stretch of highway a spot on this show, It's not odd in and of itself, of course, because this is Florida, but there were a few strange elements. As author Charlie Carson explained to the Orlando Sentinel, Donna hit the area just as the section of I-4, quote, at the approach to the bridge was being constructed. And that section wasn't even in the storm's predicted path. As for Hurricane Charlie, in 2004, it too struck as road construction occurred on the same small section of I-4. But that too certainly could have been a coincidence. Except for one strange thing. Legend has it, that precise spot, the approach to St. John's Bridge, on the Sanford side of I-4, was laid over four unconsecrated graves. The story goes like this. According to a 1974 issue of the Florida Genealogist, quoted in the Orlando Sentinel, quote, tradition held that the graves were of a Dutch or possibly Deutsch family, the parents and two children who had succumbed to the fever. By that, of course, they meant the yellow fever. There is ample historic evidence of this outbreak. The Tampa Bay Times reported that the late 1880s brought an especially virulent strain to the state. The first cases were in Key West in 1887, and then Tampa, and then Jacksonville, and Plant City, and on and on. Per the Times, it became so serious that the state of Georgia forbade all travel from Florida, fearing the disease would cross with escaping Floridians. Certainly, there would have been yellow fever just about everywhere. And there were records of people living in the area near St. John's Bridge. In fact, according to the Tampa Bay Times, there was, quote, "...a small settlement by present-day Sanford, their priest who was visiting Tampa couldn't make it back in time to administer the last rites because he too fell ill from the fever. So the four victims of the sickness were buried and their graves were eventually paved over. And then as Fox 13 would report, drivers on that stretch of disturbed highway would go on to see strange things, orbs of light. White horses that appeared and disappeared. The hurricanes that touched down precisely when construction disturbed their graves. The crashes. But still, sounds pretty apocryphal, right? Well, maybe. Except for Charlie Carlson. Remember him? He's the author who spoke to the Orlando Sentinel about the history of I-4. He knows quite a lot about the area, You see, all that land, it used to be his family's farm. And on that farm stood four graves. As Charlie told reporters, people need to recognize they're driving across the dead. He's pretty certain about it, considering that he saw those graves himself. And he knows more of the story, too. He told it to the Orlando Sentinel, over a series of articles. And while Charlie Carlson is the author of a book called Weird Florida, let's be clear, all of this occurred when he was just a boy. Charlie Carlson recalled that as a child, his grandparents, the Hawkins, had farmland that stretched alongside Lake Monroe. On that land lay an odd little section of untouched earth carefully gated off with, quote, rusty wire fencing and banana trees. It was never touched by the farm equipment. Charlie told the Sentinel, a medium who lived in the community referred to it as the field of the dead and warned others not to mess with the graves. Charlie's grandmother, she backed up that sentiment. She told the grandchildren they were to never play in the area. Of course, the children didn't listen. Now, they didn't disturb the graves, they never would have. But as Charlie explained to reporters, when I was little, I remember putting flowers on the graves. We were always taught to respect the dead and burial places of the dead. You don't mess with somebody's resting place. Per the Sentinel, it was impossible to make out the names of who'd been buried there. The Florida weather was at work, but the graves themselves were still clearly delineated in the ground. Charlie explained to the paper that when his family decided to sell the farm, or perhaps it was decided for them, eminent domain working as it does, the family took care to mark off the burial plots. They assumed, we expect, that the graves would be relocated, or the Department of Transportation would respect the dead. Well, you know what came next. Neither of those things. As Charlie told the Sentinel, rather poetically we might add, they dumped fill dirt on top to elevate the highway and covered up those graves with the asphalt of progress. Charlie for his part has tried and failed to get a marker placed in the dead zone to commemorate the bodies that he knows lay underneath the asphalt. He even went to the local museum, where, according to the Sentinel, curator Alicia Clark was able to support his claims of a colony at the site. Museum archives included the personal papers of Henry Sanford, the city's founder. They showed that Sanford tried to found a colony for German Catholic immigrants along the shores of Lake Monroe, dubbed St. John, The settlement attracted four immigrant families in September 1887, but the colony failed after the priest died of yellow fever that November. Hmm, sound familiar? Maybe this tale is not so apocryphal after all. The story certainly has more legs than any hitchhiking ghost or pale lady that drifts along a median or Spooky headlights that shine down on lonely drivers to illuminate the shadows of spectral children. Not that we're knocking any of those things, of course. Still, only Charlie and his living family had personally seen the graves before they were paved over. And for the city, that wasn't enough. Would a memorial marker be enough to quiet the spirits whose graves had been disturbed? Who can say, we can't even declare that there's any connection at all between what's happened at the dead zone and the graves underneath. After all, it's a dangerous road, I-4. But could it hurt to follow through on Charlie Carlson's suggestion? After all, as the news press pointed out, he's the one who coined the term the I-4 dead zone in the first place. Charlie obviously knows a thing or two about it, because we might explain staticky CB radios and drop cell phone calls with a bit of limestone, but those white horses we mentioned that seem to appear and disappear just around the bridge? According to Fox 13, they're often at the lead of spectral funeral processions. Seems like a fair sign that something, or someone, maybe for someone's, might be lying restless underneath all that asphalt. It might be more common in occurrence than any of us imagine. At the very least, it's something to think about on your next long drive down one of America's many lonely and winding roads. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar Join us over on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, and monthly live streams, all for just $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.